It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris here, as always, with my co-host, it is esports writer Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. We talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to that regularly, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify, and rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. When you subscribe, you won't miss any episodes when we drop them on Mondays. And if you subscribe on the YouTube, you go over to YouTube, you type in A to Z Sports Nashville in there. You won't miss the live streams when we do them at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Mondays. And everybody that's rolling in right now, they're they're getting to watch. So why don't you just join us? Just come hang out. You can comment. You can get in on the show. It's a ton of fun. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports dot uh, com and facebook.com slash a to z sports nashville i think that's all of the administrative work we got to do to get this lined up as more people are getting in here to come hang out we thank everybody for listening i've been watching youtube more lately i'll i'll say this i, I feel like this is something that the the kids on, on the youtubes are doing and i i don't do hit that like button Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Uh, I think that's all. But do that because that's what you're supposed to do, I think. <laughs> Let's get into it. The Tennessee Volunteers are officially in the Orange Bowl. Or if you will, this year it's sort of the Orange, Orange, Orange Bowl. They will play the Clemson Tigers and old Dabo Swinney. I couldn't help myself uh, today, Zach, with the thumbnail that I did for this show. Um, I did like Tennessee versus Dabo, and I I put a well. I had uh, Jake put a clown nose on Dabo. I just I couldn't help it. He deserves it. Dabo is a clown already. Uh, we got Big Ten Jeff in the comments. He's back, Big Ten Jeff. He now now that Ohio State's back in the playoff, <laughs> Big Ten Jeff's back. He says Dabo is a clown. I agree. Um, I just couldn't help myself. But Zach, what is up, man? Yeah, just enjoying this Monday, watching a little World Cup. Uh, kind of soak in the uh, the big Tennessee Vols news of the day. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Jarrett Garantano signed with the Denver Broncos oh. to their practice squad. But still, oh. <laughs> hey, good for JG. Though. He's in the NFL, and Josh Dobbs to the Detroit Lions. So a couple of Vols quarterbacks uh, still uh, still hanging around out there. You love to see it, get that Tennessee representation out there as much as we can. Uh, and the news of the day is obviously the Orange Bowl and all of those things. But also in this episode, to kind of set the groundwork of what we're going to be talking about, it will obviously be that, and we're going to get into that matchup. 
but the transfer portal, whoo, I mean, it has been a, a wild day already. Now that the transfer portal, this being Monday, the whatever it is, the fifth, uh, the transfer portal has officially opened up in college football and it has been anybody and everybody. It's also been guys declaring for the NFL draft, uh, separate from the transfer portal. Um, somebody, even Clayton in the comments here, he already said that the Gators QB is leaving for the NFL draft. That is, uh, true. And we're going to talk about all of that. That's going to be a whole separate segment after we, we cover uh, Dabo and the orange bowl and all of that and just recruiting in general and kind of how that affects recruiting. And then also let me, let me make sure everything I, I, I got it all written down here. I do, I do my work sometimes. Oh, the, the transfers, the people in the portal that Tennessee might be looking at. We're going to cover that. I think a lot of people are going to be interested in that. And then uh, Alex Golish going to USF. Going to talk about all of that too. And then maybe finish off just talking about who made it into the actual playoff. Tennessee just narrowly missed. Number six, unfortunately. Um, but the four that did, we all know who it is. But then number five was Alabama, and they had to go out and debase themselves trying to make a case a case that they don't have um and we might make fun of them before the show is over (laughs) so that's gonna be the show today but first before we get fully into all that and break down this orange bowl and everything that's happened with tennessee football this week i gotta tell you as always about the amazing folks at super book sports can you beat vegas this football season we're now getting into basketball season two Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds and promo bets you will find anywhere. Download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports. Go download that app. And and one of the funniest things uh, today that happened was, uh, well, first of all, I guess this was yesterday this happened. Florida is in the, I don't even know what bowl game it is. The Gasparilla or the something, you know, a a lower level bowl. They're going to be playing Oregon State. And the line opened at like minus seven. And then uh, the news that uh, Anthony, uh, what's his, what's his last? Do what? Anthony Richardson. 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 I was thinking Johnson, not Johnson. Anthony Richardson is transferring. Obviously, they're starting quarterback. The news is they're going to be playing like a four-string quarterback there. And that line moved up to minus 10 last time I looked at it. So uh, you can go uh, find the odds for everything you might want to bet on over at Superbook and, and go check them out. Download that app. And uh, let's get right to Tennessee. Things worked out this weekend in I, in a surprising way, I guess. USC got smashed by Utah. Caleb Williams got hurt and, you know, whatever. We do have to mention this because it is part of it. If Tennessee wouldn't have lost to South Carolina, they would have been in the playoff. Make me vomit. But it is what it is. That's life goes on. Um, Tennessee didn't win that game. And so they go to the next best thing. Uh, TCU loses, but ultimately still gets into the playoff. They very narrowly lost. Even if they hadn't narrowly lost, they still they just have a better resume than anybody else that would have been behind them we i mean we saw that with alabama their entire resume was we lost less bad than other people 
that's <laughs> the resume was losses. That's a bad place to start. So ultimately, TCU at three, Michigan two, Georgia one, and Ohio State. Congratulations, Big Ten Jeff. Ohio State back in um, th- by nothing that they did themselves, but by uh, default there, just because they were the only team uh, kind of on the fringe there that didn't have a second loss. So there you go. You get the back door your way into the playoff. Congratulations to Ohio State because you play in a joke conference. You get in, and so. Um, there's that. And that leaves Tennessee and Clemson. Clemson wins the ACC championship game. They blow out UNC and UNC down the stretch, uh, lost to Georgia tech, uh, NC state playing like a third string quarterback. And then they just get their doors blown off by Clemson in the ACC championship game. But, uh, ultimately that leaves us Tennessee and Clemson in the orange bowl. It's official Zach. Your first uh, thoughts on Tennessee getting this game? I think it's the best possible matchup for Tennessee as far as an interest level. I mean, playing Clemson, a team that's in close proximity to, to Tennessee, they they recruit a lot of the same players. Uh, Clemson's rise kind of coincided with Tennessee's downfall over the last 10 years and definitely had a big impact on it. There's a lot of players ended up at Clemson that, that otherwise probably would have went to Tennessee, like T. Higgins, Trevor Lawrence, a lot of those guys. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting matchup from that aspect. Maybe it can be a little bit of a changing of the guard, so to speak, if you can win this game in the Orange Bowl. And I know bowl games aren't what they used to be. Opt-outs are always a factor. We don't know who's going to opt out. Uh, if anybody from Tennessee at this point, we haven't heard. Wouldn't be surprising if Cedric Tillman opts out. Not because I think he doesn't want to play, but he's been battling this ankle injury all year. And he's worked hard to, to get on the field as much as possible. I mean, he injured it against Akron. He came back against Georgia. Uh, was he didn't play a couple of games after that? Tried to or didn't play in the Vanderbilt game, I guess. Played, came back for the South Carolina game. Caught nine passes in that South Carolina game. So if he opted out, it wouldn't be shocking. Maybe Jalen Hyatt if he declares for the NFL draft. But he might also want to play in this game because you know there that that was a big storyline against South Carolina. How South Carolina did not recruit Jalen Hyatt. Well, Clemson didn't either. And that South Carolina game didn't really go the way Hyatt probably wanted it to go after all the talk that w- that happened that week. So maybe he would like a little chance at some retribution there to maybe get back to Clemson a little bit, erase the bad taste uh, from that South Carolina game out of his mouth. But I think the only downside here is that even though it's the better matchup, it's a primetime game, December 30th, uh, 8, 8 Eastern, the Sugar Bowl rep- would represent being the number two team in the SEC. It would represent finishing above Alabama. And that's where I believe Tennessee deserved to be because they beat Alabama head-to-head. They had better wins than Alabama. Yes, they had the really bad loss against South Carolina. But they still should be above Alabama in the rankings. And because they're not, Alabama gets the Sugar Bowl, which is a noon Eastern game on, uh, I can't remember the exact day. It might have been the same day or a couple of days later. But that that is the supposed to be the better game and Alabama gets in it. So on one hand, you're happy to see him in the orange bowl. On the other hand, you would like to see him finish above Alabama. I don't, I don't know how most fans feel about that, but I, I do, uh, I do think that would have been cool to see them finish above Alabama as they should have been. At the end of the day, it just is not going to bother me that much. It just bothers me in the moment because it, so plainly exposes how much favoritism there is for Alabama in college football still. I mean, they have whatever Saban greatest coach of all time, in my personal opinion. And 
they've they've done all that they've done. We all know it's sucked because Tennessee's been at the opposite end of that for most of the time that Saban's been there. But uh, they, I mean, this year they did nothing. They did nothing to deserve to be there. And like all the Alabama fans, like I tweeted about it because Saban went on the the Big Ten championship game halftime show. And he pleaded his case. He got down on his knees and he begged for mercy um, for his shortcomings. Ultimately, it meant nothing. But he debased himself and did all of that whining and crying. And, you know, you put him on the spot there and he just had they had nothing. They had no wins. They didn't win anything this season. And ultimately, their entire resume was, well, we only lost by a combined four points. But you lost. You see, that's the that's the primary word there. That's did you the important see, word. <laughs> did you see Greg McElroy's take on on this? Uh, I think he texted it, but I, I I was driving all yesterday. We were seeing family in Virginia, and I was coming back. He uh, argued that it was not Alabama's fault that they didn't have any good wins. He said that the teams that they beat, like Texas and Ole Miss, did not hold up their end of the bargain. Oh, and boy. he literally says this. That his argument is, hey. If Texas goes and they win, they go to the Big 12 championship and they win, it looks better for Alabama. That's not Alabama's fault. They can't control that. I'm like, you know what they could control? Those losses against LSU and Tennessee. I mean, that was their chance for yeah. big wins. It was – I like Greg McElroy. I mean, I know he's former Alabama quarterback. I think he does good during games. I think he has some pretty solid analysis. Doesn't mean I agree with all of his opinions, but I, and, and that's how analysis goes. But I think he does a good job. But it was an embarrassing – take from him because it's so i mean you could say that about any team in the country tennessee yeah. can you imagine if a tennessee fan if i went out and tweeted it's not tennessee's fault that that kentucky went seven and five it's not tennessee's fault that florida didn't have a good finish to the season i would be eviscerated by georgia and alabama fans or any tennessee fan would be it would be laughable to make that sort of argument so i mean it's like I mean, it's like ohio state fans you know, you say to Ohio State, well, you have no win of substance. You've done nothing. And the one game that you played in where the other team had a pulse, you got blown out on your home field. You, you know, you say that to them. Well, but Maryland didn't hold up their end of the bargain. What that sounds is absolutely absurd. And I, Greg actually has a, a pretty good YouTube show that he does for ESPN. And I watch it every so often. Uh, and, you know, fine there. I think he has some good takes there, but that is horrendous. And that that whole thing with Alabama, honestly, just thank you to Josh Heupel for because what he gave us this season was the ability to just dunk all over Alabama fans all season long. And then LSU helped that out even more because when Tennessee uh, ended up slipping up against South Carolina, still – Alabama didn't have that resume and you could just now that Alabama fans are crying and weeping and gnashing, gnashing teeth. You can still just go 52 49. You should have won. What happened? What happened? That's too bad that you just, you couldn't get the job done and forever. Josh Heupel is, is a goat for that one. Um, but it, it was, uh, it was pretty funny. He Saban goes out there and just embarrasses himself and bags and it's for nothing, but still at the end of the day, that does, it's going to bug me in the back of my mind that they're going to get that. I hope K-State wins so that Tennessee fin- – and K-State wins and Tennessee beats Clemson because that would obviously put Tennessee ahead of Alabama in the final rankings. I just ah, – I think the most frustrating part of it – I think the most frustrating part of it watching that was the fact that they gave Nick Saban that platform. I mean, he was on the Fox halftime show. He was on Sports Center later that night. He was on a 
ESPN YouTube show with AJ McCarron. This was all on Saturday night, making the rounds, pleading his case. And they don't even mention Tennessee. Like they don't even put Tennessee in that conversation. Even during the playoff reveal show, it's very little talk about Tennessee. And it's not that I think Tennessee should have been in the playoff. I mean, you lost by 25 to South Carolina. That was, that was it. If you want to make the playoff, don't lose twice. I mean, that's the secret formula. And they didn't do that. But neither, neither did Alabama. And the fact that Alabama lost to Tennessee head to head, lost to a team that Tennessee blew out. I just don't understand how you can make that argument for Alabama and leave Tennessee out of that conversation. So again, not that I think Tennessee should be in the playoff. I think they got it right. Uh, Ohio state is in it because they didn't really have a better option to put in it, but there's no way that you put in Alabama over Ohio state. You, I mean, even though they got beat badly by Michigan, Michigan's still the number two team in the country. Uh, you, you have to take that into consideration. Like they deserve it more than Alabama. So it, it was just mm-hmm. absurd that they gave Alabama, uh, even in that conversation. I mean, you could you could make arguments for Penn State if you want to make an argument for Alabama. They're in the same realm to me as far as their resumes go. Big Ten Jeff gives us a super chat, uh, and he says, did we hear Bama grad Reese Davis say that Ohio State gets the benefit of the doubt in the playoffs more than anyone? Uh, I mean, they're both – they both get – way too much reverence i mean if we're being completely honest at least this season this season both have had some excellent seasons where they deserve the reverence neither of them did this season ohio state did nothing alabama did nothing and yet they were both deep in that playoff conversation i don't um, i don't think i don't think that ohio state's getting as much benefit of the doubt as alabama was because again they had one loss it was to michigan there was no other team that you could really make a better argument for if you're being objective there. Not that I think Ohio State necessarily, you know, belongs in that top. You got to have a fourth team, right? It has to be somebody. I mean, it can't be USC after they got blown out uh, by a team that they'd already lost to. That's two losses. So even the conference championship getting penalized for it, I mean, even if you take the conference championship out, you know, then you kind of, maybe have a toss up there between Ohio state and USC, but nobody else really deserved it. So I don't think it was Ohio state getting the reverence. I just think it had to be somebody and that was and the, they had the best option. Yeah. They, they were the best option. They they were. And, and I also loved to cap this off because we need to talk to actual Tennessee, even if this is tangentially about Tennessee, but so many Alabama fans were like, you lost to South Carolina by 25. Well, but you lost to the team that lost to South Carolina by 25. South Carolina was also ranked <laughs> higher in the final rankings than any team that Alabama beat this season. They were ranked Oop. one spot above Texas. So, Oop. yeah, so stupid. That was the that was the one more thing about this about Nick Saban <laughs> right. that really annoyed me. Is he had the nerve to talk about Alabama's strong finish and pointed out that they beat Ole Miss when Ole Miss was the number nine team in the country. Ole Miss finished oh, under. If you want to bring up rankings at the time that teams play, then you can bring up Pittsburgh. You can bring up Florida. You can bring up Kentucky. And all of a sudden, Tennessee's resume is still a lot better than Alabama's. So, And their strong finish, by the way, was wins against an uh, unranked Ole Miss team, finished unranked, Austin P. and Auburn, who was coached by Cadillac Williams and was in the middle of a bizarre coaching search where they're hiring Lane Kiffin and not hiring Lane Kiffin and – Finally settling on Hugh Freeze. So not not really three good football teams that Alabama beat there 
in their strong finish per Nick Saban. That's so stupid. But, you know, that's the way of the world in college football, and so there's that. But to get uh, to actual Tennessee, I'll, I'll respond to a couple of comments here. Mr. Jones says, do you guys think Hypo will go after a veteran QB in the portal? Already mentioned we're going to talk about that in just a bit, about the transfer portal and everything happening there. Maybe. <laughs> I'll start by saying that. Um, and then uh, there were, crap, there was another comment here that sort of led me into the next thing that I want to talk about. Well, e- either way, Tennessee playing in the Orange Bowl, and uh, there is a lot of uh, storyline coming in here. Dabo, before the their game against South Carolina, starts running his mouth saying, Tennessee is going to be flipping burgers, sitting at home, whatever. They didn't come prepared, whatever he said, flapping his gums. And then he goes out and loses South Carolina also, like the clown that he is. And so now he has to go yesterday and give the press conference for the Orange Bowl after it became official. And he, in his opening statement, says that it's just so great to be able to play Tennessee, who who might be the best team in college football this season. Yeah, really? That's... We're, we're walking this back now, Doubt. You could have just said, you know, maybe I was out of line or just or just not said anything at all. But he goes and is just obviously talking out of his butt in that one. And I, everything about Dabo Swinney makes me hope that Tennessee just comes in on a heater in this game and, and lays the wood to these guys. It's, it's going to be really tough. Clemson... Ultimately, their defense is good. Their offense, if that quarterback plays like he did in the ACC championship, is decent. But, man, I really don't like this guy. <laughs> I want to beat Dabo badly. Very badly. I almost wonder if he, and this is like my little theory, not really a conspiracy, just just a theory on Dabo. Tennessee's worst performance of the year is against South Carolina. And all year we've heard how Josh Heupel doesn't really tell his players to not listen to the outside noise. He tells them to embrace it, to to see it, to understand what it means, but to not let that affect their preparation, which I think is the right approach because you can't totally ignore it. So you got to learn how to, to handle it and deal with it and, and all of that. South Carolina game, that outside noise was a little different. And outside noise was nothing but South Carolina has no chance. Even from the media in Columbia, it was how bad is South Carolina going to get beat by? Is it going to be by 20, 30? How bad? And, and nobody gave South Carolina a chance at all. I mean, even Shane Beamer in his press conferences didn't really talk much junk, kind of talked about how they struggled with tempo against Florida the week before and really made it seem like it was going to be just an easy win for Tennessee. I think most people thought that. I almost wonder if Dabo's going with that same strategy, that rat poison strategy where he's putting all that stuff out there, making it out like Clemson has no chance. I mean, saying stuff like, wow, I'm glad we don't play them this week so we can watch some film. Maybe we'll be able to make them punt a couple of times. I mean, doesn't that feel like what he's doing there, some gamesmanship on his end? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just such... Yeah, I don't know what the right word is. Just him being that smarmy, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I got my number called last week and now I got a... I got to act like I didn't say any of that. And not only that, I'm going to lay it, lay it on even thicker and be now that I have to be reverent to this team. It just ugh, stop it. Just stop. Just shut up. Just say that your team is better than Tennessee. And then that's I mean, it's even that would that honestly would be less 
bulletin board material to me. I don't know how the actual team will feel about it at Tennessee, but but I mean, to me, I uh, I, I just can't stand it. Everybody kind of makes fun of Dabo because everybody, you know, they kind of say that he talks like a pastor or whatever. <laughs> I feel like that it goes in that that vein. He's just like trying to be that smiley little chipmunk guy that he is, and I. God, I just, I can't stand it. Nobody's really bringing up the fact that Clemson also blew their shot at the playoff by losing to South Carolina. Because if yeah. they win that game, and then the way they beat UNC in the ACC championship game, their conference champion, there's a good chance they're in that number four spot instead of they Ohio made State. I think not that have. I think that they're a great team. Not, not that I – it would have still been a situation where you got to have a fourth team. I mean, I haven't seen – Clemson looked they almost lost to Wake Forest, you know, this year. Wake Forest finished seven and yeah. five. They weren't a, weren't a great team. So I don't think Clemson necessarily deserved it, but they kind of get a pass for losing to South Carolina, it seems. John Hill says, Can we throw oranges and hamburgers at Dabo? <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But you know, maybe come prepared to the game. Uh, there's a precedent for that kind of stuff. <laughs> so. Uh but for for the most part, I mean that. Anything else with the setup of the Orange Bowl? Obviously, we will provide our full analysis of the Orange Bowl in the week going forward. Oh, we're, yeah, we got a yeah. lot of Dabo comments coming over the next few weeks. I mean, there's yeah. going to be plenty of media sessions. It's three weeks of nothing but build up to this game. So I think it's going to be the one non playoff game that people, that non Tennessee and non Clemson fans are most interested in watching just because of the story mm-hmm. of Tennessee this year. I think a lot of people are intrigued to see what Joe Milton does as the starter because. We've been critical of Joe Milton. All of us have been critical to some extent. But I don't we haven't really seen him against a tough defense, against a tough team. Beyond just one game, he started one game against Bowling Green, played half the game against Pittsburgh, and he's played against Vanderbilt. Otherwise, we've just seen him in mop-up duty. So we haven't really seen how consistent or inconsistent he will be over a three, four, five game stretch. Yep. You know, we've seen Hendon Hooker not look great at times. There were games where Hendon Hooker looked a little sketchy at times. So maybe that's what the deal with Milton's been. This Clemson game, probably the toughest team he's faced. So it'll give us a good idea of what Tennessee's facing next season. I, I really hope, not just for beating Clemson, but I really hope he comes in. And even if Tennessee were to lose this game, I hope he has a huge game because it, I think in some sense, it would sort of. S- shut the door on the should Tennessee get a transfer quarterback should all you know all of that talk that there's been you could just be like that's our guy for next year and you know this if Tennessee comes into this game and and Milton plays well and Tennessee wins Tennessee's gonna be like a preseason top 10 talked about a lot uh especially if they have some some good success in the transfer portal and and have Milton coming back off of a, a big performance and win over Clemson it's it's it could be a very useful game for Tennessee, even if it is just a bowl game. Like there's, there's a lot kind of riding on it here, but on the note of Joe Milton kind of being a rogue factor in all of this, because we don't know how he'll play. Another part of it is that Tennessee's offensive coordinator, Alex Golish uh, is leaving the Vols to go be the head coach at South Florida. Great move for him. An interesting move for him. I think the conventional wisdom was that he wanted that job at Cincinnati um, let's give it to Satfield Louisville, who I'm pretty sure Louisville wanted to fire. Um, if so, but then he leaves. So, Hey, more power to him. I don't know. So he goes to South Florida. Clearly he wanted to be a head coach and that opportunity was afforded him there. Um, I don't think he will 
be coaching in this bowl game. Uh, he was already with the team yesterday. So they t- they tweeted out a video of him speaking to the team. I doubt he will be there for the bowl game. It's Tennessee's not in the playoff or anything like that. And so uh, I think that's that's gone. But uh, you do have there, uh, Joey. How do you say his name? Halsley? Halsley, Hals- yeah. Halsley. Um, quarterback, coach. Also, uh, Glenn, Glenn Ellerby, um, I think, is is part of the, the offensive strategizing, too. So, you know, you got guys that have been on staff all season that will also be in the room with Heupel um, drawing up the game plan for Tennessee offensively. And obviously, I mean, the final point there is that this is Heupel's offense. Um, but does goalish leaving concern you at all for this game? It doesn't really concern me at all for the Clemson game. I think I like Golish a lot. I think he's a really smart guy, uh, very intelligent, personable. I've always I enjoyed hearing all of his media sessions with reporters through, through the last two years because he really goes in depth and gives great answers. He's very candid, uh, bright guy. I was impressed by him, and, and pretty much knew he was going to be a head coach once Tennessee started having some success. I think where his value is really added is. You know, as far as the play calling goes, it's such a collaborative effort. Nobody knows exactly how it works there, but we know that Golish has input. We know that he's calling some plays, but we know he's also kind of he's in tune with what Josh Heupel wants to do. So there, there's such continuity there that they feed off of each other and they're all on the same page. I think that's part of why it works so well. So as far as the actual game it goes itself, I think Heupel will be just fine calling the plays. Uh, I'm sure Halsley will be involved in that too, because he was in the booth this year with beside Golish. So he was had a front row seat to everything that was going on, which is part of why I think he'll probably slide into that role. Uh, don't know how it'll be titled. We'll see in the coming days and weeks, maybe. With Golish leaving, I think he was huge in game planning. I think he was huge in making tweaks to the offense. And they did a lot of that this season. We saw a lot of new things from Tennessee this year. And I think Golish played a key role in that. So I feel like next season spring fall going into the season where they're trying to adapt their offense and evolve it. I think that's where you'll where they'll feel that he's being missed the most because Josh Heupel is not a dictator when it comes to the offense. Yes, it's his offense, but there's people bringing in suggestions all the time. I mean, we heard that there was like an analyst that threw out that play where they hit Hyatt behind the offensive lineman against Missouri and he springs loose and Hooker hits him for that long touchdown. He's listening to the input from everybody. So I think Golish had a had a voice in the room that was uh, pretty prominent. So I think that's probably where, where they will feel his loss the most. I don't think it'll be as big of a deal in the Clemson game. Yeah, I, I think that Heupel and Golish had uh, gotten an incredible rapport going where they really were, were flowing with this offense. I mean, you, you could just tell with all the wrinkles that they were adding and all the different things that they implemented this season that made that offense very literally the number one offense in America. It finished the season statistically as the number one offense. Um, It just is incredible. uh, And you hate to lose that, but as you're already saying there, I think he does go for the consistency move here um, because it's not like he he runs such a singular offense or an offense that is singular to Heupel. He's not going to go and hire Kendall Bryles and be like, hey, come give me your input on my offense. That is my. He's not going to do that. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would be very shocked if it was anybody 
other than Joey Hulls Halsley, <laughs> which is, uh, I mean, I, and I think that's hundred percent the right move because because this is Heupel's offense. You don't want it to change. I mean, you want yeah, them to exactly. keep doing what they're doing. And him and Halsley have an easy, even longer relationship than than anybody on the staff. Really, I mean, he was at Oklahoma with Heupel as a player. Then he was a graduate assistant. He was a quality control analyst at Oklahoma. When Josh Heupel got let go, which oddly enough was after Oklahoma lost to Clemson in a bowl game in 2014. So it's another little twist to this bowl game against Clemson, maybe some revenge for Heupel there. Uh, Halsley went with him to Utah State. He went with him to Missouri, followed him to UCF. He's been with Heupel for well over a decade at this point. So he knows what Heupel wants to do. They, yeah. they've, they've worked together for a long time. So that continuity, which is so important, uh, can really hurt an offense when you don't have that. I think because Heupel's an offensive guy, you're always going to have that to some extent. So you're just going to keep feeding that machine and bumping people up and giving them promotions. And it's in a perfect world. I mean, it, you just keep on filling in the next guy. Because if Hosley becomes the OC two or three good years, he's going to be on the move as well. And then you have to go to the next guy. So fortunately with Heupel, it's, it's not like – it's not like when Philip Fulmer lost David Cutcliffe after 2007, then all of a sudden you just got to bring in an offensive coordinator and you bring in Dave Clawson and the whole the whole program gets turned upside down. I don't think you have to worry about anything like that happening with Josh Heupel. Yeah, I think it's it's a great setup. Um, the the way more interesting changes on the staff would be on the defensive side, and there's no real word of any of that happening this offseason. I don't know. Well, there don't could be could be could be some possibility though there with uh Brian Jean Mary, uh linebacker's coach at Tennessee. Uh yeah. wouldn't be a surprise if he went with Golish to USF. He was the South Florida defensive coordinator from 2017 to 2019. Left when uh, that coach got fired, they hired Jeff Scott. He did not retain him. He went on Gene Mary went on to Michigan. Could see him going back there as a defensive coordinator, possibly. I'm sure that's the goal. You want to be a defensive coordinator, right? Or maybe Willie Martinez, who has Florida ties. Uh, he was also with Golish at UCF in 2020, so they've been together a while. Maybe he would be a defensive coordinator option down there. He has defensive coordinator experience at Georgia. Uh, so he's been around in the SEC a lot of years. So there, there's a couple of options there that could happen. Could that be the perfect way for Heupel to kind of – specifically to cycle Martinez out of the staff to just be like, Oh, he's going to I mean, South I know Florida. The, I know the secondary struggle, but he's a popular guy who has had some success. I mean, look at, look at the guys that he, he got to so the bad. NFL uh, and during his first in at Tennessee, right? Like Cam Sutton, three-star yeah. guy, Emmanuel Mosley, two-star, three-star guy that barely had any offers. They're both key players in the NFL right now. Mosley's hurt, but he was a starter with the 49ers before he got hurt. I mean, he's got some guys, he's developed guys. And so you wonder how much of that was Martinez, how much of it was talent, how much of it was scheme. I mean, that's Tim Bates scheme. It's not really Martinez's scheme. He's out there coaching technique. So I'm not ready to say that I'm completely out on Martinez, though. I do understand why some people feel that way. I, I would just say this, whoever is teaching the tackling, Whoever is teaching the, you know, being being prepared against certain offenses, awareness, things like that. Obviously, to a certain extent, you got to have guys that are ready to to accept and and live out what you teach them. 
Um, and maybe some of the players are a problem to whatever extent, but man, some of the coachable stuff was just really, really bad uh, this season. So what, whoever the, the origin of that was, maybe replace that guy, <laughs> whether it was Martinez or whoever. Greg mentions here that um, goalish coach tight ends also. Yes, I'll have to find a tight ends coach. Yeah, that, that's the feeling is that Tennessee's going to hire a tight ends coach, hopefully somebody that recruits well, and then bump up Joey Hosley to offensive coordinator or maybe Glenn Ellerby, like you mentioned. Maybe he's like a run game coordinator or something like that. So there, there's a couple of different options there for Heupel. Yeah, it's position coaches. I, I don't want to dismiss that. It is important, but it's not important that they are some sort of savant at coaching tight ends. No offense to whoever might take that job. They need to be a recruiter. And ultimately, that's the real qualification for that job, in, in my personal opinion. I think it will be for for Heupel, too, because I think he kind of goes like, you know, I run this offense. <laughs> we'll figure out the tight ends. And Golish, sure. Golish was a very good recruiter, very underrated recruiter. Good relationships yeah. guy. Uh, really good at that. Yeah. I mean, he's number two quarterback in America coming in this year. So, uh, And he didn't want to play here for no reason. So... There's that with Golish. I, I it's it's not as it, unless they go a different direction than Halsley, it's a pretty cut and dry situation in a general sense. And we'll just have to see that it, if it plays out exactly like we think it will. Um, and we'll talk about it if it doesn't. Uh, but to, to go from there, I think that that's the biggest news from the Orange Bowl is those two things. The Orange Bowl itself, Golish won't be coaching probably. Um, since he'll be at USF. And so that leads us to the biggest news of today, the transfer portal. Oh, it was a lot. And I know people in these the comments, I see multiple people be like, who do you think Tennessee goes after? Will Tennessee go after this? There's so many dudes in this transfer portal from so many different places with so many different skill sets. And I, I mean... Your guess is as good as ours at this point, just because it's it's day of. I think the news will start to trickle out that this player is leaning towards X. This player is leaning towards X. That's going to come out more and more and more from from the the big recruiting guys that keep up with all of that and talk to those players and things like that. There just honestly hasn't been enough time <laughs> quite yet. Uh, but Tennessee, so far, players from Tennessee's roster that have gone into the portal are all offensive, and this is interesting. So it's, and for the most part, I, I would say none of this was all that surprising. Jimmy Holiday, Jimmy Callaway, two wide receivers. Going into the portal, they didn't really play, and I don't think that they had much of a spot going forward, unless they were maybe going to switch to defense or something, and I have no idea if that was ever talked about or anything like that. Um, but they just probably didn't have spots, so they're leaving. Then you also have Justin Williams Thomas, who is going and uh, who's running back. And that that one, I wanted him to to work out, but it seems like it's not gonna. He's kind of a more sizable back, a bigger back, and it just seems like he didn't have a spot either. Then the the tight end uh, Miles, um, I don't have. Sorry, Campbell. Cam yeah, Miles Campbell. I couldn't. Yeah, see see too many names today. <laughs> But uh, Miles Campbell, tight end, he's transferring out also. And I feel like I'm – oh, it's and Lynette Whitehead, who was injured this season, running back for Tennessee, was injured this season. Uh, and he's going out also, again, three guys in that running back room already. 
it just is getting crowded. Uh, and then I think there's a lot of talk that Tennessee might go after a running back in the portal. We'll have to see kind of the same way with the, the wide receivers. I think Tennessee is definitely going to go after a wide receiver in the portal this season. I think I don't want to say they would be foolish not to, but if you don't strike while the iron is as hot as it is right now with some of the talent going into the portal, like that kid at Missouri, uh, kid at Oregon, um, there was another one you, you texted to me out of Arizona, yeah, uh, wide Arizona, receiver. There's a also a former uh, or a current UCF wide receiver that signed under yep. Josh Heupel there, Ryan O'Keefe. I think that's probably the one I would keep an eye on. He played four years there. What's interesting about him is if you look at his numbers, they haven't been just mind-blowing numbers. His best season was 2021, 84 receptions for 812 yards. But in 2020, that shortened season when he played with Heupel, 20 catches, 391 yards on 20 catches. That's 19 yards a catch. To me, that streams perfect fit for Tennessee's offense. Big chunk yardage type plays. That's what they do. You know, we saw that with Jalen Hyatt this year and, and Cedric Tillman before he was hurt. So if him and Hypo had a good relationship, which I'm assuming that they did since he signed there uh, initially, perhaps that's somebody that they go after. Definitely think they go after a wide receiver. Like you said, though, with Tillman gone, Hyatt potentially leaving, you need you need bodies there. You'll have Ramel Keaton and Brew McCoy, but you still need more guys, especially depth uh, from a depth perspective. I also think they'll draft a tight end. I mean, you, which yes. that's the only reason all the players that you mentioned that, that left, none of them were surprises that set maybe Miles Campbell a little bit just because that's a position of need for Tennessee moving forward with Princeton Fant moving on, Jacob Warren possibly moving on. I don't think he's made a final decision yet. The other guys, I mean, I think we predicted most of that. We suggested that Holiday and Callaway would probably be gone. Callaway. After that drop against Florida last year, he just never really factored back into the offense. And then he had the little dust up where he was suspended for a half after throwing a punch in the Akron game, I believe. Neither of those guys really ever found a role in the offense. And the running backs, if you're Justin Williams-Thomas, I think if he would have stayed, perhaps he would have eventually found a role in the off in the offense. But if you've got Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, and, and uh, Dylan Sampson next year already, you got the former Kentucky commit coming in. And if Tennessee looks around in the portal, I mean, the writing's on the wall. You want to play, I get it. Yeah, and, and that's really where all of this is based for a bunch of these guys. They just want that playing time. Um, and and so I think where Tennessee can take advantage of that is maybe guys who are coming from in Alabama, uh, Georgia. Somebody here says Walter Nolan from Texas A&M. Not that he, I think he would carve out a spot at Texas A&M. I mean, Lord knows he's a ultra five-star player but he's from knoxville and you might um, want to get out of jimbo's uh whatever's yeah. going on down there maybe some just the guys that are in bad situations like maybe a, a number of players that also uh, uh, a seen a lot of talk about rara thomas yep. there from mississippi state seems like though georgia kind of has the the edge there that's kind of been the the feeling but he is supposed to be visiting tennessee later this month so perhaps you know, Josh Heupel, Mike Leach connection. That's where Heupel's roots are. Maybe maybe he'd like to play in, in Tennessee's offense. I mean, I don't know why a wide receiver wouldn't want to play in Tennessee's offense. Yeah, I mean, if if you're a wide receiver and you don't think you could put up massive numbers here, I don't know what you've been watching. Um, and, and, not, and it's not even just that. Obviously, at this point, you have Heupel showing Wilson to the NFL. I mean, obviously, he... 
he's done it uh, already with guys. And then this season, you're going to have Jalen being an NFL guy. You're going to have Tillman being an NFL guy. Like he's the resume as far as wide receivers for Tennessee goes is shimmering at this point. And we're only two years into high pulse. So it's not uh, even just the height and Tillman guys either. I mean, the way Ramel Keaton came on and stepped yeah, up in Tillman's uh, absence this year to me, one of the most underrated players on Tennessee's roster this year. He stepped up every single time Tillman wasn't able to go, made some really key catches. I mean, he made one of those catches on that drive against Alabama to win the game. Uh, Hooker's first pass went to him, very clutch reception, the diving catch against Florida. I mean, he's made some big-time catches this year. So another underrated guy who really didn't – I mean, you forget that he's been at Tennessee. This was his third year. Didn't really do much uh, that first year under Pruitt or last year sitting behind – Valus and Tillman and Javante Payton and some of those guys, but got his chance and has played well this year. Absolutely. And I think we all know that Tennessee's offense is, is an attractive landing spot for transfers, but uh, Timothy, Timothy uh, Guilford says, I truly think the defense, a lot of defense will be coming to Tennessee because they all know they will get playing time. And then he also says, big fan of y'all. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. But uh, absolutely. You go across the board on the defense here. Defensive line. Linebacker, defensive backs, anywhere and everywhere. You, I mean, just pick your pick your spot outside of like Amari Thomas, Juwan Mitchell. You know who's who's like an assured starter. None of the defensive backs this coming season. I don't think anybody is an assured starter next season. May, like you, you look across. Is Walker roster. still have? Is Wesley Walker back next year? He wasn't like a he graduate guy. I mean, and he so he. I don't maybe. know why he didn't play earlier in the year because he seemed like every time he played he played really well and felt like he probably should have been playing over over some of those guys that were playing it did kind of seem that way he he plays even if he's not the most skilled dude out there he plays hard and that's what I really liked seeing when he was in the game um but I I think if if you are Tennessee's defensive staff I what more do you have to say than come here and basically every spot's open like there is a playing opportunity at every single position on this defense. If you work hard and surely that gets some kids here. I got to think because there, there's a pretty, pretty solid set of uh, specifically defensive backs coming in with this recruiting class, but there, you know, you see it this season, there's some promising young guys, but it just takes a while for young dudes to get used to the, the speed and the power of college football it's just a different thing for a, an 18 year old right out of high school to get a hard grip on and so if you can get a good transfer it in basically any of those spots and I mean at this point I kind of said it earlier y'all's guess is as good as ours as far as where they're headed with any of these there's defensive players popping up from every single school across America um but I I think Tennessee has a great selling point on that side of the ball that's for sure yeah, and uh, Austin Stanley, who we had on the podcast last week, gave us a heads up that that twenty four seven Sports reporting that Tennessee's going to go after the Virginia cornerback to hit the portal, Fentrell Cypress. Uh, is it? He led the ACC in pass breakups. I mean, definitely a guy that you'd like to have six foot. And there is a slight Tennessee connection with him. He's from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Went to Northwestern High School down there, the same high school as Cordero Patterson and Justin Worley that both played at Tennessee. So I'm sure he's familiar with those guys being alumni of that high school, even though there's a big gap in their age. So that's a little interesting connection. And obviously he knows if he goes to Tennessee, he's going to see the field uh, immediately 
and play a key role. And he's going to get a lot of attention put on him. I mean, he Tennessee had Alante Taylor getting nice NIL deals because he played well in 2021. He's seen offensive guys. Hendon Hooker seems like he's got a new NIL deal every day. Saw one for Duncan Donuts today. Jalen Hyatt, obviously. So Knoxville, I think we talked about it last week. It's a very attractive place uh, for some of these legitimate NIL deals, not just these deals that you're giving a kid to to come sign with your program, but those deals that are, hey, you play at a high level and it opens the door to even more money potentially for you. Yeah, the the transfers, you got to think a huge set of those guys outside of just playing time looking to get that money as they should be that's that's the nature of the college football world now uh with with nil and i mean they were looking to get money before but you can talk about it now <laughs> you know it's, it's above board uh and tennessee obviously I mean, we've seen it for the past year one of the hottest spots for nil um really great nil work being done with with Spire and everybody involved over there now that they're working directly with the university and all that, you know, everything that's going on there. So I, I think with all that combined, tons of playing time to present to players, NIL deals coming out of our ears, surely Tennessee is an attractive uh, spot for plenty of players. And man, I hope that they get like a Walter Nolan, if they could get a splash like that on defense, God, that would be huge, huge. I, would love for something like that to happen. Obviously, it literally opened up today. We're going to have to see. It's going to be a little bit of a waiting game, but we're definitely going to keep close tabs on it. Obviously, uh, the first signing day is coming up uh, in just a bit. And uh, obviously, that's that's a whole other factor. Arian Carter was in town this past week, big recruit, um, who is people think is probably going to Alabama, but Tennessee was sort of making their final pitch. Wonder if they made any ground there. I honestly do not know. Um, I assume it went well. They've done a great job all season hosting players, but um, I, I think there's a real shot here for Heupel to continue upping this roster now that he's put put on paper how good his teams can be. Well, there's a lot of uh, quarterback talk here. Should we go ahead and slide right into that transfer portal conversation when it comes to Tennessee? Because I know that's sure. going to be a big, uh, big topic with the unknown of Joe Milton's arm. I see a lot of comments about uh, the uh, Clemson quarterback that literally hit the portal, I mean, hours after he lost his starting job pretty much to to the true freshman there. I, I don't know. if I feel like if you bring a quarterback in, it's got to be a sure thing. And it's probably not going to be – it's going to be a one-year guy, like maybe a Sam Hartman at Wake Forest, though I hear that he might be just probably going to go to the NFL – but I don't think a guy with any eligibility more than a year or two is going to want to come to Tennessee because you got Nico, you got Taven Jackson, you got – I mean, you know Nico's the guy, right? So I think it, if you do bring somebody in, it's just got to be that one-year guy to kind of bridge – just in case, like as a backup playing the Milton. So you really can't guarantee a guy a job because you you got to see what you have in Milton – Maybe you give Nico a chance to compete. Maybe Taven Jackson gets healthy and he he wins the job or has a chance to win the job. I think it's going to be a little bit harder for Tennessee to get a transfer quarterback than people realize. There's just going to be tons and tons of competition there. Everybody wants a star quarterback. I mean, who who doesn't want that? <laughs> Obviously, that's that's how you win in college football now. Like, you can have a great defense – 
but it's got to be for that to be the thing that carries you. It has to be like Georgia where it's completely mm-hmm. transcendent. You know, it's just the best in America and you crush everybody into a pace. But if you can't do that, like every other team in America, it's a quarterback's game now. And I, I think DJ Uyangalale, I think that's the correct <laughs> pronunciation. If you say it like that, it is. <laughs> yes, you have to say it exactly like that with the flourish. Uh, I, I think he could be molded because I I think they took a real step back this year with the offense at Clemson. Just it was ugly a, a lot of the time. And I don't think all of the time it was because of him. Um, and you just look at what Heupel has done. You know, Hooker didn't do much of anything at Virginia Tech and then came here and absolutely exploded like Heupel is a magician as far as that goes. His offense is extremely friendly QB if you get it down, if you can be like Hooker and really uh, get into the the flow of it and understand it uh, and get the feel of it. That's such a huge part of it. So, yeah, I think the potential is obviously there for the Clemson QB, but is he that guy who can do that? I, I feel like it's it sort of takes a specific sort of dude because it's – it's a lot of quarterback decision-making that makes this offense go. And can he be that? I, I feel like that's something also that Milton has struggled with is getting getting the flow of it. But I think that a lot of it comes from the fact that he hasn't had tons of playing time with the ones in games that matter. You know, it, it's been a lot of late-game garbage time. You sort of play in a different fashion in those situations. And, and well, and even Mr. Jones says it right here in the chat. Taven Jackson may be the answer. Maybe. Maybe he is the answer. I it didn't seem like it in the stints that he played this season, but who knows? Uh, you know, before Johnny Manziel was Johnny Manziel, nobody knew his name, and so anything could happen. Uh, but I I don't want to say I would be surprised if they go after a quarterback, but I think they'll be very selective if they do. Maybe that kid from Clemson is the I maybe, and I don't know if they are even considering that at all. And juggling the quarterback act is probably the hardest thing to do as a head coach at this point, even for somebody like Josh Hypo, who is kind of a quarterback whisperer, because you go take a transfer, does Taven Jackson then hit the portal? You know, does he see the writing on the wall that he's not going to have a chance? Because right now, if it's just Joe Milton and Taven and Nico, who will be here in a few weeks and will be around for bowl prep, and I think by the rules can actually be on the sideline for the bowl game, just not in uniform. Uh, Now, he's going to be around – Taven might see this offseason as his his best chance to possibly win that job because he has been in this offense and practicing for a whole year now. He's going to have a better grip on it than any transfer that comes in because, like you said, it does take a special type of quarterback to run this offense. you got to make quick decisions. you got to be comfortable with those decisions and very confident in those decisions. There is no time for second-guessing and not as fast as Tennessee goes. So if they bring somebody in, maybe he leaves. Uh, It's a very delicate balancing act that's why i said if you go get somebody i think you have to go get a sure thing and i don't know if a sure thing is going to come to tennessee because i don't know if josh heupel is going to sit in somebody's living room on the phone with them and guarantee them the job he just doesn't seem like that type of guy to do that that's why i think it could be difficult for him to find a transfer quarterback yeah it's not the same as wide receiver i don't think it's not as easily sellable because it is 
Well, there's three wide receivers on the field. Go make a play. Go. You yeah. don't have a chance to prove yourself. A quarterback, you, the, the opportunities are so limited. And you don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, even Josh Heupel has this problem to an extent. Every coach that's been at Tennessee since Kiffin, I guess, has had the same issue. They play the best player that they're the player that practices the best. And we've seen that that doesn't always mean that that's the best quarterback on the team. We saw it with Josh Dobbs when Butch Jones was there. We might have saw it with Jeremy Pruitt. We never really got a good enough look at any of the quarterbacks in a uh, capable offense to know. But he stuck with Jared Garantano all those years when you had talented guys behind him that would get chances here and there. And then Heupel, you know, going with Milton over Hendon Hooker because of the way Milton looked in practice. It's a really tough thing to evaluate. Uh, that's it's, it's clearly. I mean, it's the downfall of of teams from college to the NFL. So you got to get it right. I look at Clemson this year. The team Tennessee is about to play. Uh, obviously, everybody's kind of been questioning since that ACC championship game. Well, what if you played the freshman that whole time? Would Clemson be in the playoff? And look, right Dabo now. was in that position before with Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence, and he yep. rolled with Kelly Bryant for a while and then flipped to Lawrence and their whole season turned around. So if anybody should know, he should know. But coaches, I mean, they I get it. They're with these kids way more than we see them all week at practice. That's what they're seeing, and that's what they have to evaluate. So if a kid looks bad in practice, it is tough to put them out there on the field. I get it. But when the bright lights come on, a switch flips for certain players. Yeah, for certain I, I, players, it doesn't. I almost hope this coming season, like whoever it, it may end up being, if it's Milton or whoever, whoever it is just takes the job and that's it. Because I just mm-hmm. don't want a situation where like Milton gets injured and uh, Nico comes in and he has a great game. And we're like, well, why wasn't he playing all along? And all of this, just that's just not. <laughs> Let's just have the guy have him play well. Um, obviously that's a huge ask as we're already kind of explaining there, but, uh, as far as that goes, I still just got to come back to, it's all kind of speculation at this point. Cause even, even out of the things that I've seen, like somebody mentioned Jeff Sims, the guy from Georgia tech, like even some of the news I've seen about him, it's like, he's linked to Indiana, Jeff Sims speaking with, but how much does that even mean? At this point, like you don't even know how to take those sorts of reports. And there hasn't been anything that's come out about this quarterback is linked to Tennessee, at least that I haven't seen yet. It might have come out while we're doing this show. But um, just so for right now, obviously, we're going to keep a close eye on it. But anything else, Zach, uh, before before we move on? I think the most disappointing thing about the uh, quarterback talk or conversation is that Alabama is going to get the quarterback they want. They're going to get a transfer quarterback because Bryce Young is moving on. You saw Milrow didn't really play well in, in Bryce Young's absence. You got Ty Simpson, a giant unknown. I don't know if Nick Saban's going to just hand the offense over to him. It feels like Alabama's definitely going to go shopping for a quarterback in the portal, and they're going to be able to pretty much guarantee a starting job to whichever quarterback they want. So I think they're going to get their pick uh, of who they want. So that's kind of disappointing because then you got to play against that guy next year and and you got to go to Tuscaloosa and play against whoever that is and Georgia might be in the same boat too with Stetson Bennett moving on I mean it's not a super attractive offense but Georgia wins they do put up numbers uh they're not as glamorous it's a lot of old school uh you know running the ball and and kind of that that pro style offense but Georgia is two programs are gonna they're gonna go after somebody for sure 
George is the one that I wonder about because up to last year where he just kind of stumbled into Stetson Bennett being decent, Kirby had a really hard time getting a quarterback to work. I wonder if he regresses to that because I think at the end of the day, he is still just, I mean, he's that defensive guy. Like that's Todd Munkin is the, is the X factor there. Maybe. And that's, that's kind of my thinking. I, I wonder if he irons that out. Um, and, and they're able to move on to the next guy and have success. It, it'll be interesting to see. And then also Georgia, they've really this entire year bragged and bragged about how they don't get guys out of the transfer portal. I'm going to say they're going to put that to bed real quick with how many guys are in the transfer portal right now. Don't, don't think they'll be bragging like that next year. If they can go and get, you know, whoever on the portal, uh, that was silly to begin with, but, um, yeah, it does. It's that's. That's just what's going to happen until Saban retires. And that, you know, every day that passes, we get closer. Somebody said that in the comments earlier. Uh, I think it was John Hill. Um, it's one one day closer to Saban retiring, but that's all that we can hope for as far as that goes. He just, oh, man, the Saban the we is. saw this weekend was not the Nick Saban we've seen for the last 15 years. Cool. I've never seen that guy practically begging on national television. I mean, he didn't even believe his argument. He wasn't no. convincing at all. It was almost like a hostage video in a way where he was just like forced to be out there. And it was, well, that's, it was that's why, so wild seeing him reduced to that. That's why I saw, I, I tweeted about it. And I had a tweet that went like kind of viral ish. When you consider viral, got a few thousand likes on it. And a bunch of Alabama fans obviously saw it and they were tweeting oh, yeah. very angrily at me. And they were like, well, he got invited to come on the show. Did he? Do you know that? Do you know he got invited? Because what I bet happened is that Alabama was shopping him around for interviews, being like, all right, we got to do this. The Because I, I think uh, the committee, they all watch the championship, the day of championship games together. They watch them all. I am certain Alabama knows this. And they were like, well, it's the last ditch thing we could do. And so Saban went and did every interview he possibly could. That's my guess. Obviously, I don't know that I'm right there, but they were speaking very matter-of-factly where they were like, well, Fox invited him on to be on it. You have no proof of that. Yeah. You don't if it was just one they... interview, maybe, but the exactly. fact that it was exactly multiple that. interviews makes me think that, yeah, they were they were trying. And plus, if you're... Look, I understand to some extent having Alabama in that conversation for the fact that ESPN wanted compelling television because there was not a lot of drama with this playoff reveal, everybody knew that Georgia and Michigan and TCU were getting in and pretty much everybody knew that Ohio state was getting in because Alabama's argument and, and even Tennessee's argument weren't very good. You, you're just not going to get in with two losses when there's one loss teams there. So everybody kind of knew that. So I felt like they, they felt like they could sell Alabama as the kind of like toss up there with a little bit of drama. But don't you think if Josh, if that Josh Heupel would have called up, to ESPN and Fox that they would have put him on too, just because it gives them even more drama. It's yeah. even more compelling. You set this up to, Hey, can the number 17 jump all the way up to the number four spot for the first time ever in playoff history? I think they would have done that, but Hypel and Danny white did not obviously do that. I do wonder if they were annoyed by all the exposure that Alabama got, how Alabama just automatically got the benefit of the doubt. I do think that there was probably at least some eye rolls from Josh Heupel and Danny White behind closed doors. It was just so annoying because everything that I listened to 
that was with that. They acted like they had to talk about Alabama. They were like, no, we have to talk about that number five spot. No, you don't, because they had nothing. We all knew they had nothing. You didn't have to talk about them at all, and yet you chose to. That that was the difference. They all chose to talk about Alabama because it was – there was really, if we're being completely honest, there was really no drama with the no. college football playoff reveal. Everybody knew what it was going to be. I think the only drama was will they – give the Ohio state Michigan rematch in the yeah. semifinal. I think that that was the only one, which I kind of wish they would have, because we're not guaranteed. I do that. Too. You know, you don't know what's going to happen with Georgia. They look dominant against LSU, but then they look pedestrian against Kentucky and Missouri. So is it an off night? I'm not going to say that Ohio state can't win that game. I haven't watched enough of Ohio state to, to, to make that call at all. I, I would pick Georgia for sure, but I'm not going to say Ohio state doesn't have a chance. But you need Michigan to beat TCU, which I think Michigan will, and then you need Georgia to or Ohio State to beat Georgia to get what would ultimately be just like the Georgia Alabama championship game. It'd be the Big Ten version of that. It would be great television, I think. It'd be a new, yeah. you know, Michigan going for their first playoff championship. But I think having that as the two three game would have been fun because then you're guaranteed of that rematch. And that that would have been exciting. I mean, that would have been like Duke Carolina in the Final Four last year. That's exactly what it would have been. And I, I do wish we would have got that. I do too, but here's what it is. Now we get to see Ohio State maybe get uh their butt drug up and down the field by Georgia, which, you know, whatever. I, I hate I hate every part of that. I don't want to see Ohio State win. I don't want to see Georgia win. <laughs> so no, I, I want to see Georgia lose. I do want to see Georgia lose. Just yeah, I I would I would be happy to see that. But yeah, I mean Elias Gray says here the drama ended when TCU came back from two scores down because we sort of said that the only thing that could get TCU knocked out is if they get blown out. They were on the edge of it, and then Max Duggan just dragged them back into that game. <laughs> Went full hero mode there at the end. Oh, he looked like he was about to collapse out there, boy. Um. But yeah, and yeah, Rebecca says, I was embarrassed for Alabama. I, I, it made me cringe watching that. Just seeing Saban, you're like, you're, you're like the greatest coach of this generation, maybe the greatest of all time. And that you're just out there, just please, can we, I mean, if they would have, about us, if they would have made it, everybody, everybody would have known that the bias is real because people yeah. want to laugh when you bring up the Bama bias. And, and, until this year, Alabama's taken care of business and they've deserved their spot in the playoff and they've proven that. So I don't have any qualms with the fact that they've been in all these playoffs. But if they'd have made it in this year, you could officially be like, okay, yeah, they get way more uh, the benefit of the doubt, way more than any other program out there because they definitely did not deserve this spot. I mean, it would have been so transparent what was going on. So it wouldn't have been legitimate at all. And even Alabama fans, if they're honest with themselves, have to admit that. Yeah. The, and Lord knows they're not going to be honest with themselves. Let's be honest. Uh, no. Anything else with the bowl games? Because I looked through, you know, you move on past the the playoff is what it is. Georgia's probably going to steamroll. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan's probably going to steamroll TCU. Um, it's going to be lame, as it always is. But then... Uh, you have all all the other bowl games. I mean, there's some funny ones like Florida is in the SRS distribution Las Vegas Bowl against Oregon State, and that game is on uh, December 17th already. <laughs> it is a Saturday, I'll say. They made a Saturday bowl game. They didn't get the one that's on like Monday, then Monday after. But, um, you know, it's almost like 
humiliating to be in that game. And granted, I kind of hate that spot for Oregon State because they had a nice season. They um, they very nearly beat uh, USC. They did beat Oregon this year. Like They had a nice season relative to Oregon State, and they just get slotted in there against Florida, who's going to be playing like a ninth string quarterback, and like they don't want to be there. It's just kind of a shame. Which bowl game uh, did LSU uh, end up in? Do you have a list pulled up? They're there? they're in the Cotton Bowl, or no, they're not in the Cotton. USC's in the Cotton Bowl. It's they're in the Citrus Bowl, I believe. Let me see. It's this is all in chronological order how they're gonna happen. So I got to look for it. I think uh, here it is: the Cheese It Citrus Bowl. They're playing Purdue mm. in the Citrus Bowl. And Purdue's um, an interesting thing because Jeff Brom could possibly be in play at Louisville since he went there. Yes. I know he's turned that job down before, but perhaps he, he goes should back. But if LSU loses that game, their final record will be, I believe, nine and five. And that would that's such an odd that would be such an odd record to finish the season with. Because yeah, if they finish nine and three regular season, you lose the SEC championship, then you lose your bowl game, you end up with nine wins, but you lost you know, almost a third of your games. That's a, it's an odd record to, to end the season there with. It just goes back to, I said it all of the latter half of the season. Tennessee should have been in the SEC championship game. So we all know it. They were second in the SEC. They finished second in the SEC. It's what it should have been. It's what the Pac-12 is. And, you know, the Pac-12 championship game was pretty compelling and a, and a good that game. That was a fun one. Upset. Yeah. And, and. Yeah, in fact, the, the Pac-12 and the uh, the uh, Big 12 championship games were by far the most entertaining because the Big 10 and the ACC championship games, I mean, and, and the SEC championship game all got out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah, that that's the second day was a, outside of TCU and Kansas State. That second day was a total snoozer. Nothing really happened there. Uh, you talking about uh, Tennessee being second in the SEC or should have been brings up another point that I saw a lot of people make on Twitter for the anti-Alabama playoff conversation is Alabama technically finished fourth in the SEC. So how could yeah. they possibly have a argument to make the playoff? That, that just is so stupid. I can't. Ah. That, that's still that. As I said, that's going to grind my gears unless Tennessee finishes in the final rankings ahead Tennessee- of them. People don't understand. They see Tennessee fans complaining about it, and they think that Tennessee fans are begging for Tennessee to be in the playoff. And that's not the argument at all. No. I think most Tennessee fans understand that the South Carolina game knocked Tennessee out of it, unless some really crazy stuff would have happened, like Ohio State losing that game to Maryland or Michigan and Illinois or some of that Northwestern, all that going on. The argument is simply that Tennessee should be ranked above Alabama. It's like they finally beat Alabama. They finally have a better season than Alabama, and Alabama still gets the respect over Tennessee. That's all the conversation's about. Tennessee exactly. fans just want the respect that Tennessee deserves. Yeah, that that is really it. I just want to look Alabama fan in the face and be like, ha-ha, that's all. Like, I just want that <laughs> naturally. Just so if, like, we beat you. We finished ahead of you. You losers. Look at you suckers. You know, I if just, Alabama loses to Kansas State, which is very possible, especially if Bryce Young opts out of the out of the Sugar Bowl. Sure. And then you've got two playoff teams that are guaranteed to lose. And I feel like if that's TCU and Ohio State that both lose, that drops them both to two losses. Tennessee, if they win and beat Clemson, you know, a top 10 team, they could theoretically move up to third. And that, yep. who would have thought that? That would be wild. I mean, no, a number three finish in a season where I think both of us, our best prediction was nine and three. Mm-hmm. We were like, things really go well. You're hoping for three. that 10th win in a bowl, in a bowl game. That was yeah. the uh, ceiling yeah. in what that we felt. 
That that would be nuts. Yeah, and, and Elias, he says here, this is absolutely true. I got to admit, the Tennessee and Clemson in the Orange Bowl is practically built for marking. I think you look through the rest of these bowl games, and I think without a doubt, it is the most compelling matchup outside of the playoff because you have orange on orange, two big brands, all that stuff, uh, bordering states, blah, 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 blah. Plus all the Dabo stuff. The da- the Dabo Cheeseburger stuff comments. Yes. It just has the most, uh, the, the brands are huge, but it has the most, uh, storyline coming in, so to speak. So, um, I hope that Tennessee can pull it off. It'd be nice. We'll, we'll get more into that. And I think the this one is interesting. If you're a real college football sicko, people have been kind of making jokes about it all day. Kentucky is playing Iowa in the uh, in the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. They're coming to Nashville. I think a couple uh, of key Kentucky players hit the portal today. I believe some wide did. receivers, possibly. And they did. And uh, I mean, if that offense was already bad enough, they did fire the <laughs> offensive coordinator. Um, so that's something. But uh, <laughs> I think the over-under on that game is like 31. <laughs> it just is brutally low. Uh, and, I mean, if you bet that over, good luck, boy. You're, that's uh, even – that seems a little high maybe because didn't Iowa only scored not many touchdowns this entire season, offensive touchdowns. And Will Levis already declared for the draft, even though all he had left was his COVID year of eligibility. So nobody thought he was going to stay around for another year anyway, but he still made his grand announcement. But I doubt he plays in the bowl game. I don't think he's made any sort of announcement yet, but if you're declaring for the draft and you're going to be a first-round pick somehow, I don't think you play in the uh, Music City Bowl against Iowa. And, and I know a lot of people – look at that in the bowl games and they go, well, then the bowl games with everybody opting out, it's not as fun or whatever. I almost think it can make some of these even more fun. Yeah. I I might not know who the quarterback is if he sits out, but like that game's going to be ugly and weird and who knows what could happen. You get some wild finishes because of that. It's, it's kind of like the, uh, like college basketball compared to the NBA. It's like, yeah, you can have the NBA where it's very crisp and smooth and everybody's a great player, but college basketball, the messiness is great. Yeah, it's like one of those I great 6-11 games or something in the NCAA tournament with, yeah. you know, Iona and St. Joseph's or some some programs you could not care less about. Some of those games are certainly the best ones. And I think the the main thing, it's fun, fun to bet on with our great partner, Superbook Sports. Uh, go download the app there. Uh, and... We got a super chat from Ed. Thank you. Anybody that super chats, we really, really appreciate it. That's awesome. He says, what do you think of Tennessee being a four and a half point underdog against Clemson? <sighs> if if Hooker's playing, I think Tennessee's a favorite in this one. Um, and so that's probably about right. Klubnik played really well in that ACC championship game. You got to take that into account. Um, I mean, Tennessee did win their, their final game by 60, but... How much they does ran that the ball count? a lot, yeah, yeah, because Milton ultimately didn't have an amazing game in that one. That's that's probably about right. I I might go three and a half, something yeah, like think, that. I think if Hooker wouldn't have been hurt and Clemson doesn't make the quarterback change, that line's probably flipped to where Tennessee yeah. is a four and a half point favorite. So I think it all all comes down to the quarterbacks. But with Clemson, with Clubnick, it's one game played well. 
uh, obviously against a not great defense, which Tennessee's defense obviously hasn't been great lately either. Except for Vanderbilt, they they played pretty well, but Vanderbilt didn't have a good plan. But I do feel like they're giving Clemson the benefit of the doubt with the true freshman quarterback a little more than Tennessee with Joe Milton. You don't know that sure. he's going to come out and have the same performance against Tennessee at all. We we just don't know that. We haven't seen enough of him. We've seen one. Um, I think he played all but two series in that game. So we've seen pretty much just one game of him against the Carolina team that was not playing very well at the end of the season. So I understand it. I, I probably would have went Clemson like minus one and a half is what I would have uh, set it at if it was me just because of the quarterbacks. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, even let's take a look. I think that North Carolina defense, it was dead last in the ACC this season, gave up 440 yards a game and it was dead last in scoring defense too they gave up 31 points a game so i mean you know take that with a grain of salt that he had an amazing game because it's not like north carolina's been stopping anybody although <laughs> it's it's not like tennessee's been stopping a lot of people either but uh they've been they've been better than that tennessee has averaged specifically in scoring defense i mean what on the season give up tw- 26 20? or something no, even with that, that south when carolina I- but that south carolina game bumped it up it was like 21 and really that South Carolina game, like I don't want to make excuses for Tennessee and I'm not going to, there was just, I think it was the perfect storm that night. There's rumors that Freddie kitchens took over play calling duties for South Carolina, those last two games. And that's why their offense looked completely different, which is maybe kind of funny now that Nebraska hired Satterfield away from South Carolina. I'm sure South Carolina fans are probably thrilled with that, <laughs> but, and you had Jeremy Banks out who's, who's the captain of the defense and gets everybody in position. So they're adjusting to that. And it was a weird night in Columbia. I think it was just the perfect storm uh, of things going against Tennessee that night. I don't think that is who Tennessee is. I think that showed against Vanderbilt, a team that played South Carolina pretty close, won some tough games this season. I think that's, more of who Tennessee really is. That doesn't mean I think they're going to go out and blank Clemson in this game, but I don't think they're going to have a South Carolina-like performance either. I think to Tennessee is this average at the end of the season, 23 and a half points a game. I, that's that's about right for this defense. 24 points. That's that's where I would put them against a, a pretty decent college football offense giving up 24 points it, it sort of felt that way they had obviously these big swings 63 against South Carolina zero against Vanderbilt 13 against LSU and 49 against Alabama like it just was sort of all over the place so um and then oh this is interesting Rex says I heard Tennessee was targeting Dante Thornton at Oregon this is a little off the the beaten path but we're sort of coming to the end of the show here um I didn't where where that info may have come from I'm not sure, but what is, uh, I've seen this name. What are the, the, the details on that kid? Because I want to know who Tennessee might be going after what they're looking for in that wide, wide receiver position. Yeah. He's a, he's a big guy. I think he's like six, five. He's not. Oh yeah. Like, he six, doesn't five, have 200, not elite speed. I think he's 40 times four, five, four, six range, but he, he, he plays, he's kind of like Jawan Jennings in a way where he plays faster than he really is. So he's not going to be like a Jalen Hyatt burner type, but he can get separation and he knows how to play the game. And at Oregon, he averaged over 20 yards a catch. So again, it's a guy that kind of fits what Tennessee does offensively as far as those big chunk plays and getting open. And uh, I think he's got only played two years at Oregon. or So he should have two, three years of eligibility left. That, that could be an interesting addition for sure. 
Yeah, he was a four-star player in the class of 2020. Uh, let's see how he stacked up in in the Pac-12 uh, in terms of receiving. He only had like 366 yards this year on 17 catches. So could be another like Cedric Tillman type deal where you didn't really do a whole lot and then you end up in Josh Heupel's offense and all of a sudden you're a, a star. And I think that's what's very attractive about Tennessee is they see a guy like Cedric Tillman from Las Vegas, very underrated guy or under-the-radar guy who didn't really do much before Heupel arrived. And then all of a sudden he's a superstar and Jalen Hyatt turns into a superstar. And they see I mean, Tennessee is like, hey, didn't do much out here, but I know I'm a talented guy. I believe in myself. I'm going to go see what I can do at Tennessee, and that's a fast track to the NFL if it works out. 17 catches, 366 yards for 22 yards per catch. I mean, yeah, I wonder if he's kind of a guy you throw up 50-50 balls to. Hopefully he gets a P.I. at worst, catches it at best. You know, it's a Tillman. <laughs> Cedric Tillman. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he's not going to just blow by everybody like Jalen Hyatt, but I think um, you got Squirrel White for that. White's yes. not – I mean, if you ask Squirrel White, he thinks they're both close to the, about the same speed as Hyatt. So maybe Hyatt is just a little bit faster, if anything. But we've seen with Squirrel White, with Joe Milton a few times, that he can get behind the secondary and make those big plays like Jalen Hyatt. So I think that's obviously your replacement for Hyatt. Then you're looking for a guy to replace Tillman on the outside. That'd be a nice pickup. Although Rec follows that up, he says, I think Penn State is in the lead. Why would you go to Penn State over Tennessee as a re receiver? Um, but to each their own, I guess. They're talking about Jerry Mack here in the comments uh, as far as staff movement. I think we had some people come in late that were asking about the offensive coordinator deal, which we talked about at the beginning if you want to go back and rewatch that. But Jerry Mack... I mean, you think he might be a head coach candidate at Jackson State with Deion Sanders leaving? I think he played some there, and I believe he was an assistant there. But at the same time, he was a head coach at North Carolina Central and left that job for the OC position at Rice. So he might view being an assistant in the SEC as a better job than maybe being the head coach at Jackson State or any other place that might come calling. But Certainly with him having previous head coaching experience and then his success at Tennessee here as the running backs coach, I could see him being somebody that other programs want to talk to. Well, and drop dropping to FCS can be a little squirrely. I mean, obviously Deion Sanders was really successful in the short time that he was there, but not everybody's Deion Sanders. Well, he started there too. It's not like he went there. I mean, that was his yeah. really his first, you know, major job. But you can you can kind of get pigeonholed sometimes and like like you don't see a lot of fcs coaches jumping straight into a head coach at at you know a power five no job. i mean look last year when tennessee or 2021 when tennessee was looking for a defensive coordinator josh conklin at, at wofford was a guy that was picking up a lot of steam and would have taken the job i believe but he was the head coach at wofford and tennessee was not comfortable giving him the defensive coordinator position because of that they thought there would be fan backlash because they didn't hire a big enough name and they just thought that he hadn't been on that stage before. It's kind of the same reason Jamie Chadwell's had such a problem getting in some Power 5 consideration. I mean, he goes to Coastal to Liberty because Hugh Freeze went from Liberty to a Power 5 job, so he's hoping to go from Liberty to a Power 5 job. you got to keep proving yourself on those bigger stages. So it, it, it can be difficult for those FCS guys to make that jump to an FBS program into a significant role. Yeah, it's not exactly a an A to B jump FCS to 
to <laughs> what do you say big boy football fbs mm-hmm. uh Tom, and then thomas asked just clearing through some questions here he said is jalen hyatt coming back to tennessee see next season or entering the nfl draft he hasn't officially said either way but if he doesn't go to the draft i mean he's projected as a first round pick in in a bunch of projections you gotta go i mean you, you just you have to if you're if you're him you gotta get up there make your money you're not gonna get a whole lot higher than the second or first round i mean even if he did come back what what are you gonna sell beyond what is probably gonna end up being a bolitnikoff winning a season yeah. You know, you're going to win, probably going to win the award for being the best wide receiver in America. You got to go. I, I think uh, Arian Foster probably ruined that for anybody or for Tennessee fans because he came back that last year when he would have been like a third, second, third round pick possibly and doesn't have a great, well, nobody at Tennessee had a great 2008 season. And then he ends up going undrafted and, and cost him a lot of money because of yes, that. He, he had to he had to prove himself as an undrafted free agent before he finally got a big contract from the Houston Texans. Yeah, uh, I wish he was coming back, Jalen Hyatt. Yeah, but you gotta, you gotta go make that money. Um, and then I, yeah, and we can finish by saying this: Mr. Jones says Vol basketball is balling out. We talked about their win over Kansas last uh, last week, but they went and they won a couple of snoozers already. Beat Alcorn State, and I went to um, the game before that. I was there, and I don't remember who they were playing. It was another. The Alcorn State game had a weird. A uh, little twist that I don't think I've ever seen happen. I'm sure it has happened before, but not in, in the SEC level where Tennessee wore orange jerseys at home because Alcorn State only had white jerseys. How bizarre <laughs> is that? That is weird. I so again, I was driving back during that game um, from Virginia, didn't see that. So that's weird. <laughs> that yeah. is really weird. Good thing Tennessee was prepared, I guess. Um, but that is it. I think what's up it, with Vesterby? Did you, is there an update oh, on him as far as his injury? Shoulder injury, uh, day to day, I think was the assessment from Barnes. Need him health. So you got uh you got one more snoozer game, I believe. Then you got Maryland and Arizona back to back. You need Santiago Vescovi. And you have Josiah Jordan James slowly coming back. He tested that knee, uh, played about 15 minutes against Alcorn State and didn't do much, scored two points and bricked some three pointers, unfortunately. Um, but uh, you know, you, you're gonna need all of those guys healthy. Arizona's one of the best teams in America. Maryland is also really good. Um, don't discount them at all, uh, even if they're not a name brand at the moment. Like I that's gonna be two big tests for Tennessee. You you passed a lot up to this point, beating uh USC and Butler in Kansas, but um, those at tu- Tucson against Arizona at game is going to be a bear. So, uh, looking forward to it, but definitely going to need everybody back. Hopefully everybody's healthy by then. We'll see. I think that, uh, that is going to do it for, uh, the show today. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan. Thanks so much. We had a ton of people watching today. It was awesome. Um, like 140 people on YouTube alone, which is great. We really appreciate it. You guys are too good to us, too kind. And uh, hopefully we can keep uh, continuing some good shows for you in between now and the bowl game. And we have the details aren't ironed out yet, but we're going to have a big show for the bowl game. It's it's going to be um, some I, I'm not honestly, I don't know what it's going to be because <laughs> we're still really planning it. I think there's going to be guests and there's going to be 
maybe partnerships with other media outlets and some stuff that's going to happen there. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And uh, oh, and we're I haven't gotten the schedule yet, but we're going to talk to Jonathan Crump. And I feel fine saying this because he's you know, we're we're bros. But Jonathan Crompton is going to come on and talk about the Orange Bowl. When you with find us. out that schedule, please let me know so I can be uh, present. He, <laughs> he told me today, He I gave him a time, and he said, let me check my schedule. I'll get back to you. He hasn't got back to me. So <laughs> that's yeah, we're pulling back the curtain a little bit there. That's happening behind the scenes. John uh, Crompton is uh, is big time in me. Um, <laughs> so Charlie Burr, Zach Reagan, this has been the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. We, we truly appreciate you listening and all the kind words and everybody being awesome and commenting and um, just being cool all the way around. Hopefully we'll have some uh, dumb Dabo Sweeney comments to talk about next week because I'm sure he'll say something off the wall. Please, please. we I want to mock Dabo as much as possible before this game happens. And with that said, thanks again for watching, and we'll talk to you all, I guess, most likely if Crompton doesn't totally big-time us. We'll talk to you all later this week. See you guys later.